it's, it's reassuring that you clap before I speak because <laughs> you might not want to afterwards. <laughs> Great to be with you. Thanks so much for having us. I think we were here before the summer. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, think I, was, I think we were telling you about our children. Two of our children got married in the summer, which was wonderful and <coughs> somewhat expensive. Two yes. <laughs> two weddings. Two weddings within a month. That'll, uh, that'll sort you out. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that was great fun. But it's good to be back. And uh, just so you know, we are from Bristol. Uh, just along uh, up the road and so you know this too that you have friends in Bristol we are your friends we love you guys and feel a partnership in the gospel with you and um, I think a number of folk come across this way and uh, so it's great to be back with you so thank you for having us um, I want to talk to you today about being sent what does it mean to be sent the Acts of the Apostles is so named because it is what happened when the Apostles were sent what happens when they got on with the job that Jesus sent them to do. And that's what the Acts are all about. It just gives you the story of uh, the unfolding beginnings of the Church of Jesus Christ and just how it flourished and grew, the challenges, the setbacks, the whole story. And of course, you've been, uh, you've been uh, teaching through that. Where have you got to? Have you kind of... Okay, so there we go. Excellent stuff. Um, we're going to look a little bit to a little bit of Acts today, but we're going to... Um, we're going to look at what, it, what does it mean to be sent. Um, the great um, adventurer and missionary David Livingston said this. He said, if you have, uh, forgive his slightly antiquated language, if you have men who will only come if you know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. And I think he's summing up there something of what it means to be sent by God, is that we can sometimes think, well, God... Uh, you've called me to do this thing and now I want all sorts of special tricks to get me to do that thing and actually God said no no you need to go and often it's in the journey isn't it where God's provision comes uh, grace is for today uh, grace is not for the maybes of tomorrow it's for now it's for this immediate moment um, hopefully some of these things will make sense as we go through can you think of a famous postman There is only one. I was trying to think about all the famous postmen I could think of were all American postmen from American sitcoms. And the only famous postman I could think of was Postman, <laughs> postman Pat. Hopefully that will make sense at some point Which, in the, the story. Kids, I reckon lots of them wouldn't have known Postman Pat. Well, then, is it, is it that old now? Is <laughs> he? Shame. Shows how old. Shows how old we've all become, doesn't it? But yeah, Postman Pat is a famous postman. Someone who is sent to deliver uh, letters, obviously, and, you know, all the stories around him. If you're like me, you probably sat watching that with your children, maybe, or maybe grandchildren, or maybe not, uh, for many hours. I think it, yeah, anyway, we won't go into all the children's <laughs> stories, distracting as it might be. It used to be called Postman Well, there we go. Anyone know what the cat's name was? Jessica. Thank you, yes, there we go. <laughs> So this is going to be a story of being sent, and this is going to be a story about what it means to be sent, what attitudes and uh, kind of uh, uh, character in, in, the, in the one who is sent is necessary if we're going to be carriers of the gospel. Now, of course, the Greek word apostle 
literally means sent one. That's what it means. Uh, and the more contemporary word we might be familiar with, which is missionary, also means that, sent on a mission, a missionary. I mean, you might not identify with those particularly. You might think, yes, that's, that's who I am. You probably don't. Uh, but Jesus gave all believers this commission. And we've read that, I'm sure, uh, in Matthew 28 and other places where Jesus said, I'm sending you. And in fact, right at the beginning and the end of the Gospels, you find Jesus uh, sending them. When, when, when he calls the disciples, remember by the lake of Galilee, and he calls them out of their boats and he says, look, I'm, I'm sending you. That's what I'm doing. I'm sending you to be fishers of people. That's what you're going to do now. It's a new job, a new task, a new mission. And then right at the end in John 20, just to mix it up a bit with other passages, this is what Jesus said in John 20. He said, peace be with you. As a father has sent me, I am sending you. So right at the beginning and the end of the Gospels, we find this theme of being sent is shot through there because it's very much part of who Jesus is. Jesus was sent of the Father. Um, Jesus was sent to rescue humanity. That's why we worship. That's why, that's why anything changed. If he had stayed in glory, we would still be lost in our sins. He came to find us. He left no stone unturned to find you. And I think so often we get this sort of idea that, you know, well, I'm not surprised God saw me because, you know, that's not a surprise. It is a surprise. It's a shock. It's stunning that he would find you and even more that he would find me. I know, I know something of the depths of my own heart. Jesus knows better than I do. And he still rescued me. Somebody said, and it's slightly lighthearted, that uh, when God called you, he already had factored in your stupidity. <laughs> And I think, and I think, and I'm very, I'm genuinely grateful for that. Jesus was sent, and He is sending us. Now, what I want to do today is to talk about one of the the unsung heroes of the New Testament, uh, one of Paul's companions, a man though pivotal in the spreading of the gospel in those first years of the early church's progress. He's only mentioned five times in the whole of the Bible and some of them literally just named. And this is where we, we connect with your series because the first time uh, that we hear of this man is in Acts and chapter 20. And this young man's name was Tychicus. Tychicus, and, and Tychicus was, uh, was a man who was sent from Paul to deliver the letters of the New Testament, some of them at least. Uh, so they, they, see the connection there? Yeah, okay, there we go. I'm glad, you, <laughs> glad we made a postman pack connection. Uh, he was a, a postman, as it were. Anyway, in Paul, in Acts uh, chapter 20, it says this. Um, he, uh, Paul was accompanied by Sopter and Pyrrhus from Berea, Arist Aristarchus, and forgive my pronunciations, I'm sure these are very accurate, uh, uh, Secondus from Thessalonica, Gaius and, uh, from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus from the province of Asia. So that's the first time we hear about this guy. Uh, the next time is in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how, how I am and what I'm doing. So Tychicus is being sent with the letter. He's saying, Here, here's the man that is going to tell you everything about what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. So he was more than just a delivery 
man. He was more than just a postman. He was to, to deliver the letter, which would have been precious, very, very precious to have got any kind of news. Uh, but also he was going to bring encouragement and news beyond the letter as well. Colossians 4, we see him again. It says, Colossians 4, uh, 7, we read this. Oh, this is falling out. Um, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. So we're starting to hear, even though, even though it's a tiny bits of information, we start to piece together something about this man. In 2 Timothy 4, this is the shortest uh, kind of name drop, as it were. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus says Paul writing to Timothy. And of course, we really knew that because we read it in Ephesians. And then in Titus 3, the final time we hear about this man, it, it says this, as soon as I send uh, Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at uh, Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. So we don't hear much about this man. And yet what we do know is he's pivotal in delivering those letters that we now read and study uh, right through the New Testament. And from these few insights into his life and ministry, we can piece together something of the role that he had in sharing the gospel and, of course, the role he had in delivering those important communications from Paul. Paul, um, towards the end of his life, was imprisoned in Rome, so he couldn't go himself. And so he writes letters. Now, of course, he probably couldn't have gone to all the places very quickly because travel wasn't like it is today. It took a long time to get places. And yet... Although we don't know much about Tychicus, what we do know is of vital importance. It's important partly, I think, because of his very small role. What kind of role do you think that you play in God's kingdom throughout the ages? What percentage? (laughs) It's tiny, isn't it? It's tiny. We all have. And yet, and yet, and yet. Don't dismiss the importance of what God will do in you and what God will do through you. So this, this, this guy, think, well, I'm just delivering letters. That's all I'm doing. And yet his role is key as those letters unfold. Now, he had no idea what these letters would become. When we read the New Testament, of course, they, they, they're not reading it, they're living it. They're not reflecting on it and thinking about it and looking it up in commentaries and reflecting on thousands of years of preaching about it. They're not. They're literally living it day by day. It's just the next day for them. They have no idea that what they're doing is of life-changing, pivotal importance in God's kingdom. And neither do you. You don't know. I think, I, I, I can remember, just occurred to me, I remember the, 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 some of the very first times I ever preached where it was in a park in Haywards Heath. <laughs> In, in, in West Sussex. And I remember we used to preach in the open air back in those days quite a lot. I remember preaching to a park and thinking, and you know, it's, it's a big deal when you're a teenager and you're getting up to do something like that. And it's just emotionally charged. And, and of course, you, you, you've prepared and you've prayed and you get up and you do this thing. I think we probably had loudspeakers, I can't really remember. I remember thinking, I remember going to God and saying, yeah, but nothing happened. I don't know what I expected. I probably expected revival to break out because I was quite young. (laughs) (laughs) And and it it didn't, uh, obviously. But I think, um, I remember going back to God and saying, yeah, well, what what was that? What was the point? And God said, look, you, I'm not going to tell you what I've done. It's not, that's not my job. That's not your job always to know. Your job is to be faithful in the delivery of God's word. I'll, I'll sort the rest of it out. Tychicus had no clue 
he would have been beat way beyond his ability to understand that we'd be talking about him thousands of years later. He'd have no clue. And yet his role is pivotal as the story of Acts unfolds, the letters get written and sent. And so, brothers and sisters, is yours. Faithfulness is key. What we want to do really is look at just four things that we learn about this young man, Tychicus, and apply them to our own experience. The first thing we learn about Tychicus is this, he's resilient. Tychicus is a resilient man. He wasn't easily flustered or thrown. And the first time that we read there in Acts 20 that we meet him, we find he's, he's going on this missionary journey with Paul. And Paul kind of gathered groups together of various people and men and women would travel with him. And, and off they'd go on another journey. And this would happen from time to time. It may have happened more than we read about it, but it certainly happened a number of times. Um, and he's a, a traveling companion of Paul. And so these, they set out on this journey immediately there's a five-day delay. And, you, and that's what you find there in Acts 20. There's a five-day delay, and they have to wait for Paul to get to be with them. And you, you can read about that. Uh, the commentaries explain how that all worked. The process of discipleship, of following Jesus, is usually slow. If you, if you find a book somewhere, and, and I, I'm sure you haven't got one on your bookstore back there, that tells you that there are five easy steps to be a successful believer, burn it. <laughs> it's nonsense. Uh, it's very popular. In fact, I think, I think some of the big publishing houses will only publish books like that these days because they sell really well. Um, if you think about it, think about this carefully. It's the same for all self-help books. If, if self-help books worked, they would be one of them wouldn't there? There'd only be one because it would work and you wouldn't have to buy another one. Um, <laughs> they are very good at getting you to buy another one because that one didn't quite do it, did it? Same is true for the easy, easy discipleship models. They don't work. It takes time to learn how to follow Jesus. It's slow. It's, it's measured. It's beset with setbacks and challenges. There are no shortcuts or keys to success. There is no key. Jesus is our saviour. <laughs> we follow him. That's how it works. And that takes time. Christian maturity takes time. We need to be clear about this when it comes to following Jesus. If we're not clear, then we will become disheartened and even despondent in our Christian life and walk. We will. And I'll tell you why. You see, if we think it's God's job to make me comfortable and successful, then every time there's a setback, a delay, or a challenge to, uh, or, or a challenge to, to my life and my comfort, I am going to be questioning God's power and faithfulness. I'm going to question it. But hang on, if your job is to make me comfortable and successful, every time I, I face a challenge to that, a setback, a difficulty, Every time it doesn't go the way I think it should go, I'm questioning God's goodness. Why aren't you doing it? What have I done wrong? Do you see what happens then? It happens all the time to believers. It happens all the time. If, brothers and sisters, however, if God's job is not to just make me comfortable and successful, if God's job is to build a follower, a disciple, a fisher of people who will be a soldier in his kingdom army, um, prepared to fight for their lives and for the lives of others, 
in hostile territory, then when I face setbacks and delays, what I understand is that he is building something in me. He's making me, he's making you someone that he can rely on, someone he can trust, someone who is resilient, someone with some steel in their spine, someone who will fight the good fight against all odds. And that actually is what he's doing. That is what, that's what the New Testament reads, that's what Acts reads like. It doesn't, I, I'm stunned as I read through Acts. And I think, how, how did they face such persecution? Such challenge, genuine challenge. They had to flee Jerusalem quickly. Don't you remember? They, they, they just fled and wherever they went, they started again. You'd think, they'd think it didn't go well in Jerusalem. The persecution broke out after the stoning of Stephen, didn't it? And then they had to flee. You'd think they were like, stuff that. Didn't go well in Jerusalem. We won't, we're not doing that again. I'm not talking about, but they didn't. They told people about Jesus wherever they went. They'd seen something of his glory and his goodness. They'd experienced something of his grace and his power. And they could not keep silent. And God's wanting to build men and women in a church, a, a community like that. It's what, it's what Swindon needs, what Bristol needs. It's what your neighbours need, what your family needs to see, what your children need to see. And that is what God is doing. And when I understand that, we see the setbacks and delays and frustrations as part of this training program, of part of his building of you, and part of the challenge of fighting against a world that, that has a prince, the prince of the power of the air. The enemy is powerful in our world. He is. But God is more powerful. But we do have to engage with him, and those engagements are difficult and challenging. But God is building his church and God is building his people. And of course, something like this happens there in Acts chapter 20 when we first meet Tychicus and there's a five day delay. Can you imagine that we said, we said right, we're going to go off and do something together and I don't pitch up for five days. What are you going to be talking about for those five days? You'd be totally fed up. I've taken time off, I've given my, you know, I, I've taken, it's my holiday. And I'd be doing the same, frankly. And yet that isn't what Tychicus does. And, and we could argue, well, things took longer and they would have expected delays. And of, of course they would. But the similar things happen today. Yeah. Yeah. Tychicus was resilient. He didn't just give in at the first hurdle. He fought the fights. He fought the good fights of faith. It says this in Hebrews 12, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you like beloved children. Why do we discipline our ch children? Because we hate them? No, because we love them. We discipline because we love them. We know the challenges the life is going to bring. They don't know that yet. They think life is, what well, was great as a baby is you've got, it seems like teams of people working out new ways to be nice to you. And, so, and it's a shock as you grow up, and where, where's the team gone? There doesn't seem to be teams of people working out what food I want right now. <laughs> Making sure I'm warm and you know, clean and everything's done well. That kind of stops at some point, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. God is building you. He's treating you like beloved children. They require discipline. Hardship is like that. He's treating you like beloved Children. So Tychicus is resilient. We see that in those, even in that, those short passages we read about him. The next thing we learn about Tychicus is this, he is reliable. 
Tychicus is reliable. Paul was in prison in Rome, and whilst he wrote these letters, he's able to travel, as we said. And one of the roles we said that Tychicus played was to carry the letters to the churches, bringing both letters and news of Paul's condition. Reliability. Just such a, such a valued thing, such an important part of God's kingdom. Doing the thing you say you're going to do. Doing the thing you're saying, you're saying you're going to do. As we said already, Tychicus had no way of knowing that we would be talking about him 2,000 years later. He's just given a letter by an obscure rabbi and told to take it to some churches far, far, far from where they were, far from Rome. And that's it. No one's watching him. No one's checking in. His phone isn't beeping every 10 minutes. He's not on TV. No one's following him on Twitter. No one's checking in on his daily podcast. Nothing. It's just him, maybe a few companions, and off they go. They needed to be reliable. I mean, you could have thought, oh, forget this. It's just a few scraps of paper from this guy who's in prison. But he was reliable. The effect he had on the kingdom is beyond calculation. That reliability of that young man to carry those letters so that we get to read them now is beyond calculation. But he could not have known. He could not have known the impact that he was going to have. He just no way of knowing it. And neither did he ever know in his lifetime, likely. Wouldn't have a clue. The Bible is still being, long after he died, the Bible is still being pieced together, put together, formed up, and there he is in it. There he is in it, being reliable. Now, there's a, a, a often not talked about passage, and maybe you will, maybe you have, maybe you will, in Acts 15, where Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. I don't know if you're going to tackle this one, if you have. They fall out over John Mark. John Mark is a young man who has helped in one of the missionary journeys of Paul. And Paul considers him to be, what? Unreliable. <laughs> and so they fall out, him and Barnabas fall out, Paul and Barnabas fall, fall out. Barnabas says, we should definitely take him next time. Paul says, no, he's not been reliable. They have a sharp disagreement, it tells us in the, in the text, and they go different ways. Interestingly, two journeys then happen and double blessing kind of breaks out. Praise God, God has a way, doesn't he? <laughs> But listen, it's over the issue of reliability. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for Paul. It should be a big deal for us. The joy, the joy as, a, as someone who's, who leads in a church context, and I'm sure it's true in work too, the trouble is you don't, you know, you, you, your pay stops, doesn't it, if you stop doing it at work? <laughs> it doesn't if you stop doing it at church so much. But the joy, if someone says, hey, that's with me, I've got it. You can rely on me. And then you know I don't have to worry about it anymore because I'm I, I, I know you're trustworthy. I know you can do it. I know you will do it. Is of huge, huge valuable value. He's resilient. He's reliable. Um, but listen, he's faithful as well. Now you might be saying, hang on, faithful, reliable, that sounds like the same thing. Is it the same thing? Is reliability and faithfulness the same thing? Well, let's have a look, shall we? In Colossians' passage, Paul uh, called Tychicus a faithful minister. A faithful minister. 
Now, faithfulness is more about an internal state of loyalty and commitment than it is about simply doing a task. You can be reliable and not faithful. I'll tell you why. Because you can do the right thing with gritted teeth. Can't you? <laughs> you can, I'm doing the right thing because someone told me to, but I don't want to do it. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. Who's had kids like that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tidy my room, but I want to be outside playing. Thank you. Yeah, we can do the right thing. We can do it without a heart, without a faithful heart. Closely related, of course, to reliability, but vitally different in many ways. God is faithful in his love for us. He doesn't love you through gritted teeth. <laughs> he doesn't. He loves you wholeheartedly. All his heart is for you and for me. Praise God. Disciples reflect this kind of faithfulness. There is joy in the Lord. It's not just joy in the task. It's like, well, I don't want to do this, so I'm not going to, be, I'm not going to enjoy it. No, my joy is in the Lord. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm happy to be faithful. Why? Because my joy is in the Lord primarily. That's where I find my my, my centre. That's where I find my identity. It's in him. Amen. Yeah. I set my heart right with him in the Lord. It was, I think it was, um, forgive me if this is incorrect, uh, Muller, George Muller, who said the first task every day is to find my joy in the Lord. And after that, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Once I've found that, I can do all sorts of things. And to, find fa- to be faithful is to find that joy in the Lord and not just in the task itself. Tychicus was a faithful minister, not easily discovered, discouraged. And that meant what? It meant he wasn't just taking a letter. He was carrying Paul's heart to the people so that they didn't, oh, here you go. There's the letter. You read it if you fancy it. No, no, he's delivering something of the passion in Paul's heart that reflected the passion in Jesus' heart to spread the gospel, to love the word of God to love the people, to hope for more and for more in terms of progress in the gospel. Faithfulness is key in being sent. It's key in our calling that we would be reliable, but we would also be faithful. That sometimes is the hardest thing because you can be, it won't say it's easy, it's not easy to be reliable, but it's easier to be reliable. But I have to look inside if I'm going to be faithful. I have to allow God's spirit to search my heart, to see as it says in the Psalms, is there any wicked way in me? To open ourselves up even to one another, to be vulnerable with each other. I think 20 years ago, we were better at this. If you've been around for a while, we were much better at speaking the truth in love. We're not very good at it now. We're so worried about offending, but offense has become the worst possible thing, isn't it? And so we don't say to people, do you know what? You didn't seem to... You didn't seem to enjoy doing that. Was there something, is there something on your mind? And then we, we're opening up to one another. We're allowing people to see in. It seems as if Tychicus managed that because he was a faithful minister. Off on another boat. This is not a cruise liner. Off with another letter. Off you go. Oh, again? Maybe he just gets back finally to pause. Like, I've got I've written another one. Like, oh, goodness me. And off he goes again. It's inconvenient. Do you know what? He's, he doesn't live in Rome, but he's back and back and forth to Rome. It's just all sorts of stuff going on. And yet he faithfully delivers the heart of Paul and the gospel to those people that he hears. 
He is faithful. And then finally, what we see in this young man, Tychicus, is this. He is an encourager. He's someone who puts courage in the people that he visits. He was able to encourage those he visits. He, as a sent one, is such a high priority that we would put courage into those that we serve and your brothers and sisters around us. It says in Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are those who bring good news, <laughs> who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who uh, bring good tidings, proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns, that we will bring courage to those around us. We are so inundated with news, aren't we? They, this, this, uh, we're looking into a culture where that wasn't true. News would have been very, very rare. Mostly it's just your village or your town. That's, the news is of, you know, the goats got out. That's the news for today. <laughs> That's like, not a big deal, is it? Yeah, it does sound wonderful. Yeah, it does. Well, it does sound wonderful. But when someone were to arrive from outside with news, and that news was good, can you just imagine what that would do to the people who heard that good news? No wonder. What beautiful feet. I'm listening. Suddenly, oh, wow, news of the progress of the gospel. It's fantastic. I'm a bit of a news, I'm a bit of a news addict. Like, I, you know, my phone will beep and tell me the latest thing, the latest that. But we've become so overwhelmed with it. Just constant news. And, it, and we're not very discerning about it either. We don't even know if it's true these days either, most of the time. So it's hard to know whether it's, whether it's even very accurate. Actually, the few... Just to say, I'm not, I'm no conspiracy theorist, I really aren't, but the very few, the very few times, maybe twice, maybe three times, I've actually been involved in something that became national news. I'm like, the way that that news was reported is not remote, well, it's not unrelated, but it's, I was there, I know what happened. And that's just, it's just kind of, wow, you, it's just bizarre, isn't it? Anyway. We are to be bringers of good, good news, carriers of an encouraging story, both to our brothers and sisters, but of course, beyond these walls. That's, that's what we are to be and to do. We are to be carriers of good news, to bring a, a message of courage to those around us. Now, your neighbours need courage too. They need courage to ask the difficult questions about their life, the questions that you won't get at a surface conversation. You're not going to get beyond that. It will be too, uh, just too short, too superficial. We need to get beyond that because they need courage to ask the questions of life and death and future. It's really, it's really key. Tychicus was an encourager. It tells us that in the passage that he brought, he will encourage you when he comes. Such a uh, the people over the years who've come and spoken to us or to me, and it's like you walk away thinking, Wow, I feel I feel 10 feet tall. They've put courage in me. Be those people, yeah. be those people for one another. Do all you can to put courage in one another. Mm. We live in a world that that news that news cycle saps courage. Yeah. It tells you the enemy's winning all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. The enemy seems to be dominant. All oh, this terrible thing's happening. That terrible... Of course they are happening. But what's the good news of Jesus? Yeah, it's what we found as we were worshipping. What God says to us as we get into his presence. He tells us, no, 
I, I'm the, I'm the saviour. I'm the champion. I'm the king of kings, lord of lords. My kingdom will know no end. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will what? It will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How do the waters cover the sea? Is there any bit of the seabed that isn't wet? How will the glory of the, of the Lord cover the earth? Just like that. That's where we're headed, brothers and sisters. Put courage in one another towards that end. We often don't talk like this with one another, do we? It's easy to talk like everyone else talks. Oh, isn't it awful? Isn't this bad? Isn't it difficult? And as you get older, my bones ache. <laughs> and yes, they do. They do ache. Mine do. I'm, I'm stunned. I'm not even that old. And yet, we have a message that is full of courage for those around us. And Tychicus was a man like that. He put courage in those hearers. Those, those people maybe out on the edge who, like, does anyone know we're even here? Tychicus turns up and puts courage in them. What a glorious gift. What a beautiful gift. And this beautiful relationship back in 1 Samuel between David and Jonathan, you've probably heard of that. That's this, this incredible relationship they had, this close bond. And where Jonathan, who's the heir to the throne, and David, who's also the heir to the throne, and a slightly confusing twist in the story, encourage one another. And it says this in Samuel 20, 1 Samuel 23, Don't be afraid, says Jonathan to David. My father will not lay a hand on you, but you will be king over Israel. If you think about what, who is saying that to David yes, right. and the context of it, you find yeah, he's putting courage in his friend. Actually, his friend's going to take the throne that he rightfully would have taken. And yet he's that, why? He puts courage in him. There's every reason why he shouldn't do that, but he does it anyway. Yeah. Now, these qualities, these, these characteristics, they are not just we don't just find them in Tychicus. They're not just valuable because we find them in him. They have value. Why? Because we find them in, in Jesus. We find them in him. We see them there right through his story too, don't we? We see the examples of, of Jesus's, um, just his courage, of his reliability, of his faithfulness, that he put courage in those around him. And goodness, they needed it, didn't they? They needed it. Of course they did. He was resilient, reliable, faithful, and he put courage in them. Brilliant. So back to where we started. What's it like to be sent by God? What's it like? What does it, what does it require? Well, it requires at least all of these things, doesn't it? But here is what Jesus said. And uh, listen, it gets better, but this is challenging. This is what he said about being sent. In Matthew 10, verse 16, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local authorities and councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. When they arrest you, don't worry what you will say. At the time, it will be given to you what to say. If you will not be speaking but the spirit of our father speaking through you. There you go. That's, I mean, that's, that, that's, what, that's what they faced. And, and to some extent, that's what we face too. And we live, in a, we live in a strange moment in history, but we do face these things and we may well face more as we head forward. Is that to be, or should we be afraid? No. <laughs> no, we would, but courage. We may need to get better 
at putting courage in one another because the future might not look like the past. We might need to be better at it. Listen, just to finish, it takes humility to recognize that I have lack in these areas, and I do. It requires brothers and sisters to help one another to get to where we need to be. It takes faith to believe that God by his spirit will put some of these things in us where they are absent. And it requires courage to take the gospel to those who yet hear it. Uh, Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this young man who displayed these things and that we can read about all these centuries later. And Father, we pray for us. Lord, I pray for Trinity Life, that we're a place like that, a place of reliability, of faithfulness, Lord, a place, Lord God, of encouragement and courage, Lord Jesus. I pray for that, Lord God. I do ask that this church would see an influx of salvation and baptisms and people coming and finding you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that it would happen because they were able to put courage in one another, uh, not just to let things go, but to actually get to the number of things, to help each other grow in their faith and their strength in you. Amen.